This episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Don't Forget to Write Podcast. The Don't Forget to Write Podcast welcomes you into thought-provoking and challenging truth by host Michael Head. He invites listeners to journey with him into transparent and real conversations on mental health with the goal to bridge the gap of mental and spiritual health. Join the conversation by searching DFTW anywhere podcasts are played. It could save your life or even a loved one's. The more that we know ourselves, the more we are able to impact those around us. DFTW. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, nerd. Are you ready to launch 117th Expedition into Nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin' rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now dusting off your massive doomsday device for world domination. Unecrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. This is the Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, man. So, how's your quarantine going? You know, actually pretty well. Um, I've finally put up my shelves. You know, oh, okay. That, that project I've been you know, trying to do for six You're working months. on your uh, studio, right? Yes, exactly. All right. All right. Well, like, so are you almost done then? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost done. I just need to get, you know, a couple of things, you know, that'll make it easier to record at home and stuff like that. Like I was going to get like one of those arms and shit. Yeah. And, and you know, show note, you know, uh, before we even start. We are recording this separately, so uh, you know if this sounds a little different, a little off, it's because we're skyping this episode, um, and we're still working on that Skype lag. That's right. <laughs> we're practicing our social distancing. Yep. So um, our social hopefully, all of you are. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm working on my waistline. I'm pretty sure I've gained about thirty pounds. Um, in the last three weeks, um, when all this is over, they're probably going to have to fucking cut me out of this house. Um, I am a fat bastard, Christian. I need, (laughs) I need to stop eating. So working from home definitely has its setbacks. Hey man, Um, at least you're not like a crazy tiger owner, right? Yeah. Oh, have you, have you tiger kinged yet? I've, I've only gotten halfway through because man, there's, there's way too much to handle (laughs) with that show. It's too much. Did it overwhelm you? Yes. (laughs) Dude, I fucking started that show, I want to say, at midnight the other day, thinking, you know, I I heard the buzz and everything like that. Honestly, you know, to bring up wrestling, we don't usually talk wrestling up front, but Alex, uh, AJ Styles, you know, in one of his promos, you know, makes fun of The Undertaker. He had this whole weird, like, little PSA about tigers. He's in a pool with his wife. It, It was just strange. But he references Tiger King. And I was like, what the fuck is Tiger King? And then, like, literally the next day, it was all over the internet. Memes, everything about Tiger King. So, you know, we've been home doing nothing. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> let, me, let me let me check out this show. Start at midnight. And I didn't turn that fucking show off until the last episode. I was up to at least, I want to say, 530 in the morning. Jesus. And I had to wait. <laughs> I had to wake up with my daughter, who always ends up waking up at, like, 630, you know. On the mm. dot, regardless. So I was exhausted, but let me tell you, Christian, it was well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a true crime guy at all. You know, mm. like I have p- 
plenty of other outlets. Usually true crime like documentaries just depress me. Um, but this thing was just riveting from like start to finish. Um, this guy is just off the wall bonkers and like what and it's not just him it's like the entire fucking cast of characters like mm-hmm. literally like i want to say like two episodes in i had to like google search like the the whole <laughs> show because i was like is this real this can't be real because they have so much footage you know like we're like they're describing what's going on and like you know most documentaries you get like a reenactment or something like that or a bunch of talking heads no they're telling the story like you know the, the narrative and then at the same time they're literally showing you the footage uh, it, it's just astounding like in the twists and turns that the, what episode did you say you're on i don't want to spoil I, i'm like on four so like, the, trust me man you better fucking buckle in because shit gets crazy <laughs> fucking crazy it's just like it's like people like this really do exist out there like it, it's amazing to me so i mean some people were have been coming kind of complaining about it like they, like it's glorifying him and his lifestyle it is absolutely doing the opposite of that like all yeah, these seem people psychotic. yes <laughs> all these people feel like you know bat shit crazy you know i mean and then like the the characters that you think are actually like you know like, you know, the heroes of the story, like, you know, take this dark turn. It's like everyone is just a piece of shit in this, you know, <laughs> in this documentary. It's just amazing. Um, I couldn't turn it off. I really couldn't. So so I can't wait for you to finish it so we can talk more about Tiger King. <laughs> God damn I guess I'm going to have to. We might just I... have to start a whole, like, Tiger King-like podcast. <laughs> gonna... Yeah, Kate McKinnon's come out and said that she wants to play uh, Carol. You know, from the documentary, <laughs> which feels like perfect casting. Um, it it's just, I don't know. It's definitely going to be a movie, you know. Um, so I mean, it's just, hopefully what comes from you know the whole documentary is like it's actually like shedding light and like the whole plight of the tigers and everything. You know, more so than the whole like you know weird Undertaker in the pool with a tiger video. Well, I uh, felt like the saddest fact was the fact that there are more of these tigers in captivity here yes. in America. Than there are in the actual wild. Yes, which is terrifying. It's like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Um, so I, I think maybe it, it, it will, like, some good will actually come out of the documentary for, like, as crazy as it sounds. You can hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> or just everyone, at least everyone goes to jail at the end of the thing. So, <laughs> like, because that's what it feels like it's going to, like, lead to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, like, cold cases being open after this <laughs> documentary. And Christian, you know what the best part of the whole documentary has been? What, man? The fucking music videos. Like, that was another reason why I was like, <laughs> this can't be real. <laughs> no, yeah. Because, like, all, all of a sudden he's got this, like, legit, like, country singer voice, too. <laughs> you know? And, like, it's like, this has to be a joke. This can't be, like, real life. And it is. Like, you can look it up on YouTube. They've been, like, you know, he released them years ago. <laughs> just amazing no, it, it completely feels like a mockumentary and it makes no sense that these people exist yes yes like i want the album like i want <laughs> <laughs> i might have looked on you know on apple you know to see if i could actually find you know the the, the song no that's not all you were looking for david you also were looking at that joe exotic underwear already ordered christian already ordered <laughs> <laughs> roar <laughs> 
You gotta use that manscape for something, right? That's right, baby. <laughs> Keep it tight and neat. <laughs> and everyone just turned off our podcast. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, definitely check out Tiger King if you haven't yet. All right, Damon, we got our villain cinematic countdown to do today. But first, we gotta talk a little bit of news. Yeah, now fuck that shit, man. Let's talk more Tiger King. No, Damon, let's talk the news. <laughs> Tiger King is the news, Christian. All right, well, before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, help further support the show by giving us a five-star review. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We are mere podcasters with opinions. So up first, uh, David Filoni has shared new artwork kind of teasing another major Star Wars Clone Wars character joining um, perhaps Ahsoka in uh, The Mandalorian Season 2. Yeah, man, you can go on Dave Filoni's Twitter right now, and he's got a banner which shows off Ahsoka riding like this giant wolf-looking creature next to what looks like Rex, Captain Rex. So do you think we're going to get uh, you know, Rex in Mandalorian Season 2? I, I think it's, you know, possible, you know, there was all those rumors where he was in Return of the Jedi. Um, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some old dude with a beard. They're like, that's Rex. So, but yeah, whatever. Looks just like him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it works. Yeah, I, I'd be down for it. It makes sense uh, for him to be st- still with, you know, old Ahsoka. Well, I mean, especially where we left off with Rebels, she, you know, mm. he would definitely still be around. So I, you know, I think continuity wise, it definitely matches up. No, it'd be great to see like Rex continue his story. You know, I mean, after what we saw with like Rebels and everything like that, it, it definitely, I mean, just a live a- action version of the character. Do you think they'll get like the original actor back to actually play him? I doubt it. <laughs> well, if we Who saw knows? him, he was in, um, he was in Aquaman, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Sorry. I was thinking about the old man from Return of the Jedi. Oh. <laughs> I like. I doubt he would come for this. Yeah, no. I don't know. I don't know. No. I don't know if he's with us anymore. <laughs> Do you think they would get you know uh, Tamara Morrison back? I think I'm mispronouncing his first name. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see him come back. Um, I mean, he's wh- still working. Exactly. You know, we saw him in Aquaman. <laughs> he's the right age, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think age wise, it probably match up perfectly, right? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see like all the characters that they're bringing in, and the fact that they're just so loosely dropping images online instead of being you know tight on it like they were before. Uh, did what? What were the other images that they posted? I think there was an image of like a bounty hunter like character, and people were speculating whether or not it was like uh, Michael Bean's character. Ah, uh, okay. So I secretly wanted him to be playing uh, Boba Fett, of course, but you know. <laughs> I'm still holding out. Know. I'm still mm-hmm. holding out for Boba Fett to make an appearance. I don't think he will, but it is what I'm it just is. excited for this series. To no, come. I am. I am. <laughs> I mean, it's probably. I think I. I was talked about when we we're talking about like you know our most anticipated films and like shows of you know 2020. I think this is probably my most anticipated thing. You know, out of you know any medium, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to a second season of this show and see where they take everything. Especially with the news with Ahsoka and shit, you know, being part of the show now. Ahsoka will save Star Wars. <laughs> I think Mandalorian has pretty much saved it at this point, honestly. Exactly. Uh, do you think that they're, you know, leaking all these images so that they can get ahead of the toy lines this time? <laughs> well, I think 
Disney probably was like, listen, assholes, I know you don't want spoilers, but we also have to make money with this shit. Because mm-hmm. they those Baby Yoda toys still have not hit the shelves. So, I mean, so they're definitely not going to fuck around with things like that. I I definitely I I admire what Favreau was trying to do. Uh, (laughs) You know, keep something a secret. It's hard to do nowadays. And he did it. But I, I definitely I understand why Disney would be like, okay, well, this was like the biggest thing during the Christmas season. And, you know, the only person, you know, the only people who made money off of it were like bootleggers. You know, and like people doing like DIY projects. Exactly. I have a I have a Baby Yoda shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Like a bunch of people on Etsy were like doing patterns and shit like that. You know, putting mm-hmm. out like plush toys and you know, um, little like like customized like figures and stuff. So, um, yeah. No, it was everywhere. All right. So up next, Mad Max director hopes to shoot Furioso uh, spinoff in 2021. That's all we can do is hope, right? Uh, and has met with New Mutant Star for the lead. Yeah, it looks like they're looking at doing a prequel because uh, it's Anna Taylor Joy. What's Anna Taylor Joy? Who uh, they're looking at from uh, The Witch and Split, and she's also in the new New Mutants, as it says in the stupid description. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a great actress, so it's a good pick. I just don't mm. know if I want to see a prequel. I was hoping that'd be a sequel. Yeah, I was definitely looking for a sequel as well. Like she survives by the end of that movie, so there's no reason it couldn't be. I mean, Charlize Theron uh, brought a lot to that character, so yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I loved what they did with that movie, so mm-hmm. I definitely want to see where George Miller was going to take that story. Um, so I'm definitely surprised that you know he's choosing to go the prequel route. I mean, but I, I mean, I trust the guy. Hell, maybe there'll be a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we're going to get a new like Mad Max movie also on top of it? Uh, I mean, he's hinted at wanting to do another one. So, I mean, I would love to see another, you know, more work from George Miller. I love him as a director. Miller's but... not a spring chicken, though, right? I know. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, he can't have too many of these left, right? I hope he's not, staying not at home him off, but... <laughs> right now. <laughs> I, I hope someone has him bunkered in. Nah, it's George Miller. How do you bunker him in? Right? No, he's been he's been waiting for this shit his entire life. This no. dystopian like world we live in. So he's ready. He's probably got his fucking like you know Road Warrior shoulder pads on and everything. Oh man, he's got silver paint ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Someone pre- please keep George Miller safe. <laughs> All right, man. So today we actually got a trailer that dropped. Uh, it was for Peninsula, the sequel to Train to Busan. All right, so this is the sequel to the 2016 South Korean zombie film, and it's directed once again by Sang Ho Eon. All right, and this movie's supposed to actually drop sometime during the summer. So knock on wood, right? Yeah. Now, what's funny was I like we were watching. Me and my girlfriend were actually watching like a ton of like horror movies recently, and I brought up, oh, we should watch Train to Busan. Still didn't watch it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm telling you, man, it's going to change your life. It's one of the best, like, zombie movies to come out in the last decade, at least. So, um, I, I, I feel like that, that movie, like, captured, like, kind of, like, the spirit of Romero's movies. So, and then, you know, that's funny, you know, thinking that, watching this trailer, I really felt like 
this was like, at least from the trailer, the looks of it, this looked like a better version of Land of the Dead. Um, I was not a huge fan of that Romero movie, but this felt like it had that kind of like, you know, scope. It looks fucking epic. Like it was post-apocalyptic goodness. Um, I don't know, man. What did you think? Uh, I was a little like some of the effects were giving me that World War Z vibe at some points, but otherwise Mm -hmm. it looked fucking brutal and awesome. So I'm still super interested in watching it. They do kind of mix the CGI like effects with the like uh, practical effects a lot, mm-hmm. um, but they do a much better job than World War Z. So World War yeah. Z, like it, like it just it looked like a video game half the time with a like, giant was... like fucking herd of zombies like rolling over each other and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is not that. So um, it was definitely more in the tone of those effects from the first movie. Uh, there's definitely some like scenes. I think there's like one where it seems like they're in like kind of like a almost like a gladiator like arena. Like there might be some kind of like zombie like fighting going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's like that giant like mass of zombies. Like, yeah, I was coming, like what the like, fuck is that? <laughs> like yeah, I was like, did someone sew these zombies together or something? But it looked it looked fucking nuts. So I don't know. Um, definitely a different feel than the first movie, at least by the trailer. Um, so that's interesting. It, it definitely feels different, like tone wise. Um, you know, the first movie was all about like a father and their a daughter and like their relationship. So um, I'm not quite sure what we're gonna get story wise from this one. Um, I think we're following the daughter again, though, because um, oh, okay. you know they make a point to say it's four years later, and I believe the young girl in the in the movie is the daughter. I'd have to actually look that up right now. Um, but like the trailer just dropped, so I haven't had a chance, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it'll be cool if it is a continuation of her story and see where, you know, it leads. All right, Damon. Um, it, it, you watched a show recently, right? That's right. I finally got around to watching Star Trek Picard. We have an obligation to investigate. There is no we, Jean-Luc. Admiral, I am standing up for the Federation, for what it should still represent. This is no longer your house, Jean-Luc. Go home. Picard is a follow-up series uh, that centers on Jean-Luc Picard in the next chapter of his life. Um, Creators Kristen Beyer, Michael Chavon, Akavia Goldsman, um, and of course starring the legendary Patrick Stewart. Tell me all about it, Damon. All right, so I'm a casual fan of Star Trek. Um, I grew up with Next Generation, so with that being said, Captain Picard has always been my captain. Um, Patrick Stewart is just so amazing in the role. Um, Strong, wise, stoic. He took the role seriously. Um, He brought this, like, nobility to it and, like, this, like, Shakespearean flair. Um, And what's great about Picard is, like, he grows throughout the entire series, um, as does, like, the rest of the crew. You see his hard edges kind of soften over time, and you get to watch Picard and the crew become really like a family before your very eyes. So what really, like, it boils down to was, like, Picard's character had layers and every season and like even into the movies we saw more and more of like the real man so with that being said i was extremely excited to see patrick stewart returning to the role after spending far too long away from it um the first couple trailers for picard looked great although i did worry that we were drawing like too much inspiration 
from you know his role in Old Man Logan. Uh, but with that being said, I still was really looking forward to it. And I I'm happy to report, overall, it was a really well done character piece. That's not only like a worthy chapter to like, you know, the captain story, but to just the Star Trek universe. Um, so light spoilers ahead. I'm going to try to like talk plot with like get, not getting too detailed. Um, but like we catch up with Picard almost two decades after the events of Star Trek Nemesis, which is one of my least favorite Star Trek movies. So a lot of that story you know, this story is connected to that story, um, which at first I was a little worried about. But, um, like, to, to say the least, Picard is haunted, and he feels almost, like, brokenhearted. Um, Picard has since been, like, forced to retire after he didn't, like, agree with a mandate giving, given to, like, by, like, Starfleet. Uh, Picard was on a mission, I guess, to help Romulan uh, refugees evacuate, um, but then Starfleet orders him to stop. Um, and that's because this group of synths who are working on the mission seemingly go completely rogue, attacking and killing thousands. Um, this effectively causes Starfleet to take more of an isolationist kind of like approach. And at the same time, causing a ban on all synthetics. Um, so that's kind of what forces Picard to give Starfleet this ultimatum because, you know, he's very much passionate about this mission um, and he believes that they're going against the very code of Starfleet. So, um, but Starfleet kind of causes, like, calls him on his bluff and, you know, Picard retires. And I think he's kind of broken as a man after that. Um, so, like, fast forward, Picard is visited by this woman, you know, how many years later so fast forward picard is visited by a woman um so we're now in like present time uh who's like connected to data um in a in a way that i won't get into just not to spoil anything and she's like on the run uh this sets up this whole mystery that reinvigorates picard um partially because i feel like you know, his loyalty to his fallen friend, Data. He still feels, I think, a sense of guilt um, and regret for everything that's happened, right right or wrong. Um, but at the same time, I feel like he's also just hungry for, like, purpose and redemption. Uh, we also find out that he doesn't have long um, because of this condition um, that he has, um, this brain condition, I guess, that's, like, accelerating. So... This sets off just this very, like, entertaining journey where Picard goes to solve a mystery. And, I mean, this show, this whole, you know, first season is very much a mystery. He gathers this strong crew of characters that all can hold their own. Um, and I actually felt like I was invested in them and their story. Uh, the, the first three episodes, you know, overall do drag a bit. Um, there's a lot of setup and backstory. But once we're amongst, like, the stars, Picard, the man, and, like, the show just feels like they're, like, in their proper element. I will say also, they use their episode count wisely. Um, there's no filler episodes here. And it's a 10-episode it's a season. So there's definitely, you know, a chance of that happening. We've seen that with, like, you know, um, bigger and better shows. But, you know, there's no filler episodes here. The story does have, like a lot of exposition 
but it's hidden with like great performances and just you know great dialogue and storytelling and there's enough good action and uh just like twists to really like balance it out so seven of nine um is also in this show um and she's just a total badass um you know and i didn't know much of the character beforehand i wasn't a big fan of deep space nine so but i was really impressed by her and i wanted to like kind of now i want to go back and like dig into her backstory um you know with that being said um there are a lot of timely themes um that star trek uh, and all great you know sci-fi always ends up exploring um you know what makes us human living with regret facing our own mortality um and this just this narrative of you know like with the refugees and everything um and starfleet like taking such a hardline stance you know and like i said before almost becoming like separatists and it, it, it seems strange because it's very much against their mission statement um but yeah some definite like thought-provoking themes you know that a lot of star trek you know stories tend to have but i mean these are just super timely um you know and i, I think it's just all kind of driven overall by the theme of redemption um you know when it comes to picard um but something that brought me a lot of joy was just all the familiar faces that like popped up here and there um the show just feels like a warm blanket those characters just have such great chemistry together um you know it was like you were back to like you know the next generation days um you know and you want we're left kind of wanting to see more and hopefully somewhere down the line you do get that so i mean not all of the you know original core characters pop up which i was actually kind of happy with it kind of leaves something for you know future seasons um they did a great job though of like catching like capturing the essence of those original like characters um so i could definitely see um when it comes to like the final episode where you know some people might feel like it was kind of you know a cop out you know cheap um but i still feel like it actually carried a lot of weight and it actually resonated um you know i i, it, I thought it was pretty obvious what was going to happen but they let you know the moment breathe without saying too much where it was effective you know overall it really did give you know a lot of closure to you know certain characters um, and I felt like it did a great job of just like setting up Picard's story moving on. All right. Well, I just had one question, though. Do you think as like as an entry point in Star Trek, would this be a good place to start? I mean, just in general. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Because I even had at one point like I had to go back and kind of like Google some shit. So I think you would get lost pretty quickly. Mm. I mean, you might get like the overall tone of the show. And I think the performances are all really strong enough to like, you know, invest in. But at the same time, I, I feel like you need to kind of do your homework to kind of follow along with the story and be like, at least a, like I was a cat. I'm a casual Star Trek fan. Um, but I think you need to at least have some kind of working knowledge to mm. really get into the show, if that makes any sense whatsoever. All right, Damon, what grade would you give this series? Um, you know what? I'm gonna give it a B plus. 
I was really taken aback with how much I really enjoyed this story. It was just really well-crafted. So yeah, B+. plus. All right, well, before we move on, support for The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Christian, my bachelor days are way behind me, but I remember being a younger man running around before a big date you know, having to manscape using those old-fashioned trimmers. I mean, you you practically might as well be using, like, a chainsaw or something because you'd get a nick with those things, and you'd practically bleed out. That's why I'm so excited that Manscaped has gone ahead and redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and I'm happy to announce they just released the brand new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. That's right, man. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the new LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. Christian, I've never had a better look at my balls. But let me tell you, the thing that impresses me the most is they've upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand has a rapid charging dock powered by a USB. I know I have mine displayed proudly on my fireplace mantle, so everyone knows I rock it high and tight, baby. That's right, it's time to trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code NerdShow at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's right, Christian, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Nerd show at manscaped.com. I mean, what a deal. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using that code nerd show. And make sure you tell them the nerd sent you. All right, Christian. So last week we talked our top cinematic heroes of all time. So this week we're going to go ahead and we're going to do the other side of the coin. We're going to talk our top cinematic villains of all time. Uh, we're both going to be counting down. We have our own lists, um, and we're going to go through all our favorites. That's right, David. It's time to get evil. Now unlocking and unencrypting files for the top 10 cinematic villains. Number 10. All right, my number 10 to start off the list was Agent Smith, as portrayed by Hugo Weaving. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. All right, so 1999, the Wachowskis really brought together this incredible film called The Matrix. Uh, it was definitely a landmark film with all the effects and all these crazy stunts that they were willing to do. It really changed the kind of like cinematic um, landscape. And with that came an awesome villain. And I'm talking about Agent Smith. Uh, Hugo Weaving does an incredible job being the you know, the counterpart to Keanu Reeves throughout this film. Uh, he's just diabolical. He's on his own. Like, for some reason, you know, he's part of this program and 
he's deviating from the path you know we, we find out throughout the entire trilogy that you know he's an anomaly of his own um, and it really he really you know acts out these kind of devious ways that really like shine you know even when uh, there's a part in the trilogy where um, Hugo Weaving's character actually goes into um, the real world and infects another human being and you still see you know um, Hugo Weaving and his way of acting and Agent Smith really living out in this other character uh, you know it's just such an iconic character and I think it'll probably you know last forever and I'm kind of interested to see where they'll go in the future if they'll bring back Hugo Weaving if they'll bring back Agent Smith in any way because there is going to be more Matrix films at some point after all this mess happens but uh, we'll, we'll see how that works you know all right Christian so my number 10 pick is Alex from a Clockwork Orange portrayed by Malcolm McDowell so now it was to be Georgie the general saying what we should do and what not to do and dim as his mindless grinning bulldog but suddenly I vidded that thinking was for the gloopy ones and that the omni ones use like inspiration and what bog sends for now it was lovely music that came to my aid there was a window open with a stereo on and i vidded right at once what to do so alex is pure anarchy uh he and his fellow droogs want nothing more than to just cause like chaos um they'll take what they want and nothing's gonna stand in their way um, they're this weird, like, sick and twisted, like, symbol, like, of everyone's, like, worst fear and anxiety mm -hmm. about, like, a younger generation. Um, you know, basically teenagers. Um, between, <laughs> like, Kubrick's, like, stylized vision and Malcolm McDowell's, like, charismatic performance, Alex is truly just an unforgettable character. No, uh, now that you brought him up, now I'm kind of wishing I had added him to my list. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's just a great character. Um, I I was actually Alex uh, for a few Halloweens, so oh, I, I can something that. about wearing a jock strap <laughs> on the outside of my pants, you know. I really dug. <laughs> no, but just I mean, just such. I mean, I, it was I think one of the first films too where I really like started to enjoy like just like filmmaking in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Kubrick like slowly became like one of my favorite like directors and i like took a deep dive into like all of his material um but you know and it's a fantastic book also completely different than uh kubrick's you know vision um i'm trying to think of the author's name and it's completely slipping my mind right now but it was kind of like the same deal with like uh kubrick and stephen king mm -hmm. um the author was actually quite annoyed with the way <laughs> that um you know stanley took his story and kind of changed it so, um, but yeah, no, I mean, definitely check out the book and the movie. Number nine. All right. For my number nine, I have the T-1000 from Judgment Day as played by Robert Patrick. Yes, officers. There's something wrong. Have you seen this boy? All right, this is another one of those cool villains that you know had a very awesome stylistic look for Terminator 2. And um, Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. So of course, um, the T-1000 got onto my list. Uh, Robert Patrick is an awesome, stoic character that gets to you know be this melding fucking metal machine going after them uh, throughout the entire film. And it's one of those types of villains that they tried to recreate again and again and again but just nothing lives up to the original portrayal by robert patrick and what they did with the effects in t2 
Uh, it was such a fun and awesome adventure that they went on to, you know, from the first film being this kind of like horror film to this one being more of the badass action sequences type of film. Uh, I definitely enjoy T2 the most out of all the Terminators. Yeah, he's just a stone cold killer. Yeah. Um, and the, the effects were like truly groundbreaking at the mm. time. Like I, at that point, like seeing that film, like we never saw anything like that effect wise. And it took years for everyone else to like catch up to what Cameron was doing. So, I mean, yeah, t- definitely a great performance. I would say the closest thing we've gotten is the most recent film, but you know, it, it's just poorly written and poorly, you know, executed. So no, no unfortunate. <laughs> All right, so my number nine pick is Tommy from Goodfellas, played by Joe Pesci. Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. All right, so the character Tommy is just the embodiment of what a gangster is. Loud, bombastic, dangerous. Uh, he lives by his own rules, and he's not only, like, does he, like, feel like he's above the law, but he, like, feels like he's above the code that these thieves, like, live by. Like, all these, like, hardened criminals and, like, even his friends fear Tommy um, because he's just, like, a loose cannon. He's impulsive, he's unpredictable, and it almost feels like the gangster lifestyle really for him is just kind of a front for just being a vicious killer in general. He almost like revels in like violence. So that's why Tommy made by this. No, absolutely. I think that's one of my, I think that is my favorite Joe Pesci uh, role ever, so. (laughs) Yes, I think it's pretty much on the top of everyone's list, so. Um, And it's one of my favorite films ever, so. Mm. Uh, But yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, go watch Goodfellas, goddammit. <laughs> number eight. Alright, for my number eight, I have Calvin Candy from Django. Or not Django, wow. From Django Unchained, uh, <laughs> as portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio. You see, under the laws of Chickasaw County, Broomhilde here is my property. And I can choose to do with my property whatever I so desire. And if y'all think my price for this nigga here is too steep, what I'm gonna desire to do is... Then we can examine the three dimples inside Pamela's skull! Never in my life did I think I would actually love a racist, but Calvin Candy... <laughs> is fucking phenomenal. Quentin Tarantino does a great job with Django Unchained in general. Um, it was one of those films I was just blown away by when, when I went to see it in theaters. And um, Leonardo DiCaprio's role throughout the entire film, I was fucking just digging it. I was fucking so behind everything Everything he was into it. And you know, to learn that like some of um, DiCaprio's best moments in that film were just kind of ad-libbed or just went, like uh, when he cuts his hand open and that's just like, he was just in the moment and he accidentally smashed a glass and it cut his hand and he just rolled with it and rubbed it on his own face or uh, rubbed it on um, the female actress in that film's face at the time. 
Uh, it was fucking it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> disgusting and awesome all at the same yes, time. No, I, agree. I agree. Way to roll with it. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really loved what DiCaprio was able to do with that character. Uh, super despicable. Really deserves to be on my list. And I was constantly debating on putting him lower. Uh, How did you feel about Django Unchained? Uh, I loved it. It was a great movie. Um, I, You know, and DiCri- DiCaprio is just, I mean, he's such a bastard in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it, I think what's great about the role, it's something that we've never seen from him before. So, and I think he really like enjoyed like playing in that sandbox with Tarantino. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was one of those things where it's like, I always would picture DiCaprio as a hero type character. You know, I, that's who I would cast as like a Spider-Man or something down the road. Mm-hmm. Not, not the evil racist, uh, slave owner, you know? Yeah, no, but it was nice to see him go, like, outside of the box and everything mm. like that. And I, I think, you know, we've after that, we kind of started seeing him take different roles on, you know, more character parts. All right, my number eight pick is Max Caddy from Cape Fear, portrayed by Robert De Niro. I am like God and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. He cannot above me nor I. Beneath here, me! Salacious 17th century. So Max is just a homicidal sociopath um, who just has one fucking mission in life, and that's to ruin um, the man that he felt wronged him um, by any means necessary. So his lawyer, Nick Nolte, um, refuses to enter evidence that like could have like saved him during the trial. Um, and since that moment, he becomes, like, hyper-focused on destroying this man's life and his family. Um, just stalking and, like, harassing them relentlessly. Um, it's one of De Niro's, like, most underrated roles. Uh, his transformation, like, in prison, like, mentally and physically, almost feel, like, otherworldly, like, supernatural, if you will. Uh, he literally becomes living and breathing vengeance and he just won't stop until he destroys like nick nolte's character's life um i love this movie and it's it's so funny because i even forget about the movie sometimes and they'll like pop up you know on cable once in a Mm -hmm. while and i'll just have to like go ahead you know put it in like you know the blu-ray and just watch it from start to finish it's just a riveting performance by de niro no it's one that i've been meaning to watch for a long time i just keep like it's in the back of my mind as far possible but i'll definitely have to check it out i mean i've got all this free time now right yeah you might as well right (laughs) yeah no scorsese and de niro like back in the 80s and the 90s were Mm. just such a great team um much like you know dicaprio and scorsese today number seven for my number seven i have tony montagna from scarface as portrayed by al pacino do you want to play rough you can't talk about bad guys without bringing up Scarface. He, fucking Tony Mantania, is literally the architect for not well, maybe not the architect, but the bad guy as far as like action films go, as far as drug money fucking films go, criminal uh, movies go. For me, at least. Uh, for the longest time, I, it was one of those movies I wasn't supposed to watch for a very long time just because of how violent and you know, how crazy the antics are in the film. Uh, I, um, I think my first actual exposure to it was um, they made a video game based off the ending 
to the movie where he actually survives. Oh, really? Which is funny enough, yeah. Um, you basically play out this whole fake storyline where he actually survives that scene and you just go on a fucking rant. Oh, interesting. Just like coked <laughs> out of your mind? Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> uh, so then from there, I was like, oh, I gotta fucking see this movie. I gotta know what happens in this. Uh, and man, was I not disappointed. You know, it it's just a fucking wild ride from start to finish. And I, and I love Al Pacino in the film. It's kind of like my first real big exposure to him as an actor as well. All right, so my number seven pick is Eric Killmonger from Black Panther, played by Michael B. Jordan. It's time they know the truth about us. We're warriors. The world's gonna start over, and this time we're on top. The sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. So Killmonger is such an interesting, complex villain you empathize with him um, to a certain extent. Uh, he's angry because he feels abandoned by his family and his country. Uh, they took his father from him. And so like at a young age, he's forced to fend for himself. Um, there's this utopia out there that not only does he feel like left out of, um, so like he feels like not only is he left out of, but like his entire race is left out of. Um, so like in his eyes, T'Challa's family, like they betrayed him and their people. He sees himself as like a liberator. He wants Wakanda to reveal itself like to the rest of the world, but like under his rule. And like, it's not only to like share in like all the riches and advances uh, with like his people, but he also wants to use it to make like the rest of the world grovel at his feet and like establish like this empire. He's like this rare villain where he actually teaches the hero a lesson. Um, after like Black Panther like puts an end to his plans, um, he then goes ahead and soon like reveals Wakanda, you know, to the world. So, I mean, it's just, it's such a great performance by Michael B. Jordan. Um, it's a, a crying shame that like he doesn't make it, you know, at the end of the movie, because mm. I would have loved to see what they would have done with him, um, you know, in a sequel. Uh, no, I totally agree. Like it, it's it's the natural conclusion at that point in the story, yes. in the film. But at the same time, it's like I would have worked some way to keep this guy in. I mean, it was such a great performance. Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, there's so many layers. I mean, that scene between him and his father when he goes into like the spirit realm and everything, and you could just feel like mm -hmm. the heart like break um, between the two characters, where he's just like review, like refusing to have any kind of like emotional reaction to seeing his father. I mean, just fucking, just great stuff, man. I mean, I, like, I, I forget sometimes how fantastic Black Panther was, um, just because there's been so many, like, other, like, you know, phenomenal, like, MCU movies after that. You had, like, Infinity War and, you know, obviously Endgame. So uh, I just recently went back and revisited it. I was like, Jesus Christ, I need a sequel to this movie now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what direction, you know, they take that movie. But, I mean, this is definitely a performance that shouldn't be forgotten. Number six. All right, for my number six, I have Jack Torrance as played by Jack Nicholson. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. 
Yeah, to piggyback off of what Damon said earlier about Stanley Kubrick, I mean, he really knows how to take, you know, these awesome characters, play with them as much as he wants. Um, and he was able to do that with um, Stephen King's work and made The Shining this awesome, brilliant film. I mean, everything from start to finish is this awesome ride that you go on with, with Jack um, really turning into this madman. Um, Nicholson does such a great job of handling this character. And I mean, I know you've heard us talk about this character over and over again, but seriously, Jack Torrance is such a fucking well done character in this film and is something to be really remembered um, in horror and in film in general. That's why The Shining will always stand out as more than just a horror film to me, is mostly because of what Stanley Kubrick did with it and Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the character. No one does crazy like Jack Nicholson. All right, so my number six pick is Freddy Krueger, portrayed by Robert England in all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. All right, so a lot of boogeymen and like modern day monsters on the big screen have these like sympathetic origins, you know, like uh, Jason, uh, Candyman, even Leatherface to a certain extent. Not fucking Freddy Krueger. <laughs> um, he was like just as much of a monster in life as he is like in death. Um, you know, when he was living, he was the Springwood slasher. You know, Freddy was this, like, repulsive child killer, uh, burned to death by, the like, his victim's parents. Uh, he comes, like, he becomes this, like, nightmare demon, allowing him to, like, stalk the children of Elm Street in their dreams, just torturing them until their fear is so heightened. And, like, after countless of, like, sleepless nights, only then does he, like, kill them and let them off the hook. I remember as a kid, you know, like, you know, having like those nights where you're like scared and you just can't go to sleep and you're almost like praying that you just fall asleep. And then I watched Nightmare on Elm Street and, <laughs> and I was like, you just can't win, you know, after seeing this movie. It was like, well, if I fall asleep, mm -hmm. I could probably die. And then I was having like, I have very vivid dreams, especially as a kid. So I was having like weeks of dreams with like Freddy fucking chasing me. So you're, you're always like, not, like, you know, it's a movie, but you're never quite sure when you're like eight years old, whether or not, you know, is Freddy really stalking me? So like, yeah, it was pretty traumatizing. You know, don't let your eight year olds watch Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> not that my parents did. They, I, I think I snuck it. Like I had an older, I had a friend who had an older brother who like, you know, we mm -hmm. waited for everyone to go to sleep and then he'd pop in the VHS tape. Uh, but yeah, it's that classic yes, story. Classic. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Freddy's definitely you know one of my top villains of all time. Number five. All right, starting off the top five, Damon, I got to start off with Voldemort as played by Ralph Fiennes in the Harry Potter franchise. Harry Potter is dead. <laughs> 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 And now is the time to declare yourself. Come forward and join us. Or die. Uh, director David Yates uh, picked up the Harry Potter franchise at the point where it needed to go into this kind of more adult direction for all the characters. 
Um, you know, if as a reader of the books and everything, you, you really see this kind of change in tone by the point where David Yates had to pick up. And, you know, it, and it really does within, you know, you can tell by the way that he directed the film and how the characters are acting and stuff. He really had an understanding towards the material as well as um, the character for Voldemort. Uh, Voldemort in these films are fucking... It, he is extremely diabolical. And, um, you know, you're bringing to life, you know, this magical version of Hitler, pretty much. And um, how um, Ralph Fiennes, you know, took that character and went with it. You know, you can tell that Ralph Fiennes really got into the role, really um, absorbed and took as much of the character that he could into it and brought it to life. Um, they really did this great job of taking what was on the page and making this awesome villain um, for the, the last four or five films. Uh, Ralph Fiennes is fucking amazing and phenomenal in these films. Uh, I would definitely say, I mean, even if you're not a super uh, Harry Potter fan, you can definitely see the work that was put in. Um, it was definitely well done. And, you know, David Yates has continued on with the newer films. Um, and he's, you know, he's kind of having to take that, uh, you know, re re approach to it, where um, you know now it's kind of like the World War One of uh, the magical war. So we'll, I'm kind of interested to see how he'll go from here. Um, it's been a, you know, a little bit of a shaky road with some of the newer films, but I'm I'm still looking forward to seeing, you know, how they develop these characters because these characters um, that we're dealing with now are all the influences that Voldemort had. To do everything that he did in the future, so it should uh, it should be very interesting to see what they do. Man, that's fucking scary to think. Like Hitler with like wizard powers. Exactly. That's just bad news, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm a muggle, so I never watched any of these fucking movies. So. <laughs> well, as a muggle, you should be terrified. Yeah, of it sounds like it, Jesus. <laughs> with Hitler with a magic wand. All right, Christian. So speaking of Nazi scumbags, my number five pick is Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. Play by Christoph Waltz. Ooh, that's a bingo. Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. An absolute vile human. Um, a fucking Nazi bastard um, who gets off with fucking with his victims. Um, the first scene with Hans. Um, is a beautiful exercise by Tarantino of like suspense and tension. Um, he knows what he's going to do like before he even knocks on the door and what the outcome's gonna be. Um, but he takes this like gleeful delight in doing his job, as sick and twisted as that is. Um, he likes to play with his prey before he eats, if you will. Uh, he's almost like has this like strange charm about him uh, that is really just like covering up the true monster underneath there's nothing more satisfying than that the ending of that movie like you know spoilers of course uh for a movie that came out what like 10 years ago (laughs) (laughs) where you know the bastards are carving a swastika into like han's forehead um you know that's that's how you do fan service right because you think you're he's gonna get away with it because he's helping them out by the end uh but you know, they had to carve in that fucking uh-huh. swastika. That's right. <laughs> I want my scalps. <laughs> number four. All right, Damon, my number four is a man that did absolutely nothing wrong. Um, it's Thanos, as portrayed by Joss Brolin. <laughs> you could 
not live so of course failure. the big bad of the avengers franchise had to you? be on this list Where, whether or not he's at number four or number Back one he has definitely been the most epic you know conclusion to all of fucking marvel pretty much at this point um, Thanos was such a well done character and you know such a great role for Josh Brolin as well um, the Russos really handled this character super well um, Josh Brolin I think this is um, yeah, I would say this is the best experience I've had from Josh Brolin so far uh, from his previous films I would say personally um, you know he, he really mastered that character even though you know if you think about it he's on you know, set with this giant head above him, <laughs> you know, doing all these crazy lines, which is fun to think about. <laughs> um, yeah, he is the Mad Titan, and you know what they did with this character. You know, um, while it's not like you know they they really changed it from the comics a lot, but at the same time, I I would definitely take this portrayal and this um, version of the character probably over what we get in the comics. I mean, he is a fun character in the comics often, but it's. There's something um, almost I I want to they say, added depth like, to the character. Yeah, they added depth. Like um, I wouldn't call him relatable, but <laughs> there's you know there's a lot to like about the character, even though he's doing so like such a fucking whoa awful yeah thing pump the world. brakes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, All and right. that's why my number four pick is also Thanos from the Infinity Saga, played by Josh Brolin. Inevitable. So he's lurking in the background throughout the entire Infinity Saga. Like, we knew very little about Thanos, um, you know, cinematically. Um, they didn't really, you know, you didn't really have many character moments, you know, for, for Thanos. But then, you know, Infinity War happens. Um, a villain who almost felt like a plot device at times became, like, so much more with that movie. Um Infinity War was so anticipated because it was going to be like one of the biggest crossover films like of all time. But little did we know that at its heart, it's really Thanos's story. Um, you know, we got to understand like the characters' motives, and like no matter how fucked up they might be, it all kind of tracked with the characters' like history. Where you could kind of wrap your head around what he was doing and why. Um, we also get to watch him like go through like sacrifice and like grieve as a character which you never really see a villain do so it added like these layers to you know thanos the russos and josh brolin like really bring this character to life um and made him somehow like almost feel human even though like he's this giant hulking purple alien with a nutsack as a chin um he obviously <laughs> man skips christian uh <laughs> But it's it's you almost forget that like Josh is in this like mocap suit, that it's not like this mm. actual like you know like living being. Um, it's a real like testament to you know the effects team and the performance. Yeah, man, shout out to their effects team. Fucking a phenomenal job. Hard to imagine what uh you know what Marvel is going to do to top Thanos at this point. You know they had such you know just a melding of all their hard work was really put into this character. And, you know, I can't imagine what the next step for the MCU will be. You know, how can they be bigger than Thanos? And I, I can't think of anything other than, you know, maybe Doctor Doom. So, <laughs> no, it's they definitely have to go Doom. 
yeah. I feel like, you know, that that's the only way they're going to be able to top that character. Um, you know, I mean, Thanos really was like the perfect storm for them. So, but it still caught everyone off guard because everyone kind of, I think at the time was thinking, oh, you know, big alien dude, you know, wants to bring on the apocalypse. You know, we've seen it before. But I mean, what they did with that character, they made him like truly like worthy of going up against the Avengers, mm-hmm. you know, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I remember when those first reports came out and they were saying, you know, Thanos will be the main character of the film. And I was like, that's that would never work. And now I'm like I'm interested to see what those first, you know, drafts were like with Thanos as like your your main traveler throughout those films. Number three. Alright, well, for my number three, I have Grand Moff Tarkin, as played by Peter Cushing in Star Wars. To provide us with the location of the Rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. No, Alderaan is peaceful. We have no weapons. You can't You will possibly... prefer another target, a military target? Then name the system. Uh, Star Wars is filled with tons of menacing characters, but I never thought... You know, any of them were more like any of them were more menacing, other than maybe a couple, than Grand Moff Tarkin. And that's a little spoiler for later. But uh, Grand Moff Tarkin is fucking, you know, he is kind of your introduction to how just how evil the dark side and the Emperor and the Empire are. You know, this man was going to blow up Leia's home planet, whether or not she gave him the information. You know, yeah, he was. that was just a testing ground he just brought her up there as a you know hey maybe we'll get a couple things out of there but i'm testing out this fucking laser um he is a true menace and i think you know one of the reasons he gets you know such a low number on the list for me is because i know so much more about his backstory you know a lot of what he had done with vader beforehand and all that stuff so star wars and the universe as a whole has really built up this character and then to see him you know, played by Peter Cushing, you know, doing such a phenomenal job in the actual film. You know, it's it's one of Lucas's great triumphs, I would say, is this awesome villain on top of the many other awesome characters that he created. You know, that's me giving some props to the old man. Uh- <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a solid choice, really. Mm. It is. Um, you know, and the, the, what's weird about the film, too, is like Grandma, like he feels like Vader's handler. Yeah, you know, throughout that movie. And he really, if you look at it, he's kind of like the main villain. Because the Emperor is just kind of in the background at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, it really is all about Grand Moth in that first movie. Um, you know? So, I, I, it's definitely a background worth, like, you know, diving into. And I know they've done tons of comics and, you know, books since. Um, but I haven't actually... I know there's actually a few books that just feature him. So, I'd love to, like, actually, like, dig into his origin and everything. No, like, how not. did he get above Vader? Because it does feel like he ranks above him, right? Yeah, um, you know, they kind of, there's a point, and maybe I shouldn't get into all the Star Wars lore, but there is yeah. a point where, <laughs> you know, the Emperor pretty much sends um, Tarkin to go work with Vader. And then, you know, he's just kind of raising up the ranks through that. Mm. Yeah. You kind of see that dynamic happen. Yeah, and, and Peter Cushing is such a just a, a great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that he got this like role. I think it was the final role of his career. Um, you know, Lucas was a huge Hammer fan, so I mean that's why he also casted Christopher Lee. You know, in the mm-hmm. prequels. So I mean, it's just a great send off for you know him as an actor. 
All right, my number three pick is The Joker, played by none other than Heath Ledger um, in The Dark Knight. You know, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that I'd like a gangbanger, we'll get shot. Or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up. Nobody panics. Because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mare will die, well, then everyone loses their minds. So the Joker is just an agent of chaos in this movie. Um, what makes Nolan's version of the character work so well is he feels more like grounded and plausible, um, which what really makes him so terrifying. Um, Heath Ledger gives this iconic, chilling performance. Um, he's a terrorist, really, um, who wants to just conduct these social experiments to prove that the world is really just as damaged as he is. Uh, that we're just, once again, one bad day away from being this monster in clown makeup. Um, just, I mean, one of the greatest like villain performances of all time. No, I totally agree. That's why he is my number two. Uh, Joker, Heath Ledger, Dark Knight. Number two. I took Gotham's White Knight and I brought him down to our level. It wasn't hard. See, madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. <laughs> You know, I really had to think about this one because, you know, last time I picked, you know, um, the animated version of Batman over. And, you know, a lot of it for Hamill is, you know, he will always be my, you know, my voice for Joker and everything. What I think of when I think of Joker or read anything Joker's lines. But what Heath Ledger was able to accomplish as an actor and what Nolan did with the character in this film and really, you know, capturing um, the Joker uh I thought was absolutely perfect. Um, you know, I, I came out of that film just bewildered at how well they handled the Joker. You know, it could have been what we got out of Suicide Squad. You know, that was, I think that was a lot of what people were afraid of at the time was, you know, it, it was going to be very hokey. And what we got was this really fucking well done character. His fight with Batman and throughout the movie and, you know, uh, creating um, Two-Face and everything. Just all the different elements. Um, it, it's so chaotic, and yet it's it all makes sense. And, you know, everything that Heath Ledger put into the performance, you know, especially with, like, the nurse scene, you know, the, the explosion, everything, uh, you know, him having to hit the button a bunch of times because their um, effects guys wasn't able to get the explosions to go off. Everything just worked so well. And I can go back to this film time and time again and enjoy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you, you think about it at the time. I mean, Heath Ledger was like the, that, like casting was so outside of the box. Mm -hmm. um, like I remember being like, who, the guy from fucking Knight's Tale. It's <laughs> like, how is this gonna work? You know, because I mean, honestly, like Jack Nicholson almost made my list. You know, playing the Joker. Um, mm. so in my mind, like it had to be a caliber that, that kind of caliber of an actor. Um, and like, I knew very little of Heath Ledger's work. So, I mean, what he does with this role is nothing short than just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, his portrayal and this version of the Joker makes this version of the Batman, 
uh, you know, really like the way that they play off of each other, you know, I feel I made this Batman so much more memorable than it already was. I agree. All right, Damon. Well, what was your number two? All right. My number two is Michael Corleone, played by El Pacino in the Godfather series. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. They'll make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. All right, so when we're introduced to Michael, he's this fresh-faced war hero who feels almost ashamed of his family's business, um, which happens to just be like one of the biggest crime, you know, syndicates in New York. Um, it's not until his father's like attempted assassination that Michael starts to really like transform as a character. At first, his loyalty and need to protect his family is admirable. Um, but slowly, Michael becomes this man possessed and he goes on this journey that starts like as, you know, he's just a son trying to protect his family to this like power hungry, vicious businessman who's willing to kill his own fucking brother for crossing him. Um, that's why Michael's number two on my list. All right. All right. Well, here we are, Damon. We made it to the end of the list. It's number one. Uh, and my number one. As, as anyone could expect, is Darth Vader, as portrayed by David Prowse and James Earl Jones. Number one. Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Now his failure is complete. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. So, okay, boom. The, the door opens, smoke clears, lasers flying everywhere. You're immediately transported into Star Wars. And the first big character that we meet is none other than the legend himself, Darth Vader. Uh, what George Lucas did um, pretty much introduced his whole franchise with probably the coolest character to ever don the screen let alone the most menacing villain we've ever probably ever gotten on screen. I mean, you can't even look up <laughs> villain without Darth Vader popping in. Um, you know, David Prowse walks in in this all black suit and it's such just a memorable moment. It's probably one of the most iconic openings to a film in general, let alone a franchise. Uh, Darth Vader is really this you know, this symbol of power uh, in the empire and everything. Yet we get, yet we get on this arc with him um, that really shows this transformation of what the force is. And we learn so much about the force in general because of Darth Vader with his son, uh, Luke. You know, Luke was on my top 10 heroes list uh, because of the struggle that he had to face with Vader. You know, the story is so equal between the two of them and you really, you know, you can't have one without the other. You know, you you get this hero moment because of his story with Vader. And I feel like Vader makes Luke the great character that he is, for the most part. I mean, every, every hero is a better hero because they have such a great villain. Uh, and I mean, even getting into his backstory with the prequels and everything, you know, you get into the, the concepts that, you know, you know, one of the big, most powerful moments was, you know, Luke looking at his arm and looking at 
Vader's and learning, you know, the history about that and the prequels, you know, while prequels aren't that well written, uh, <laughs> they still like were able to create this piece that really shows the anger and the connection, you know, to the force that Vader has with Luke in the future. Uh, you know, this was a huge triumph by Luke, not Luke, <laughs> by George Lucas, I meant to say. And, um, you know, it's really commendable to think that he created such a well-known and well-established character that resonates with everyone. I mean, uh, his redemption arc is probably one of the best redemption arcs in film. Um, I, you know, I, I've watched a ton of films where they have similar arcs and just none of them have resonated the same as uh, Darth Vader's has. Now, let's let's talk about, you know, James Earl Jones's voice. You know, it's such a... He has such an iconic voice, um, and it's it's great. Like, it's just all the right pieces. You know, Vader is just the perfect villain. And that's why, of course, you know, you're not only in my list or anyone's list, he's going to be at number one. Uh, and that's, that's why he's my number one villain. All right, man. So I actually agree, um, because my number one pick is also Darth fucking Vader. You do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. So last week when we were counting our favorite cinematic heroes, I talked about how Luke was really like the first hero that I remember like, you know, pretending to be. Um, well, on the opposite side of the spectrum, there's Darth Vader. Vader is just iconic and absolutely the most recognizable villain on this list. I spent like many days as a kid battling against Darth Vader and the evil empire. Um, his presence is absolutely intimidating. While the prequels, you know, are poorly executed for the most part, they did manage to capture the rage of Anakin Skywalker. Um, and like slaughtering younglings be damned. Um, it gave him like this different dimension as a character. Um, there was a period of time where I did start to feel like Vader was starting to become almost like underappreciated because he was so iconic. He was almost like Mickey Mouse, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you just saw him everywhere in media. Um, I think people like kind of started taking him for granted. Um, but then fucking Rogue One happened and we got to see <laughs> Vader finally in his full glory you know from like sparking up that lightsaber and then just like taking out that whole unit of rebel troops um it just reminded us why vader truly should be feared and i really hope like one day we finally get that like jedi hunt like you know movie or you know series <laughs> you know something where we just get to see like you know vader cut loose yeah, and that's why Dark Vader, like, by far is, like, my top cinematic villain of all time. Yeah, I have to agree, man. Like, I keep wanting to see that that Jedi Hunt version of Vader on screen more. Um, they give us hints and glimpses of it. Like, recently in the latest Star Wars game, at the very end, you see him and it's all his fucking glory. And then also in the middle of Rebels, we got an amazing fight between him and Ahsoka, which is... Let's like one of the most memorable things to come out of star wars recently yeah no it's definitely one of my like top 10 like star wars moments of all time honestly just because of how much weight that moment 
actually carries. I mean, after watching like all of Clone Wars and just imagining that like confrontation throughout that entire series. I mean, it's just such just an amazing moment. No, absolutely. We're definitely gonna have to do a countdown for like best Star Wars moments ever. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've got the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back um, in May, so maybe we'll just do a whole fucking, like, Star Wars month. Yeah, sounds like a good idea, man. Since we have nothing else yeah. to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down for a Star Wars month, man. <laughs> All right. All right, well, that does it for our top 10 villains. We want to hear what you think of our top 10s, and we also want to hear what your top yeah, 10 Yeah, definitely was. reach out to us, Um, you know, on social media. We're at... Uh, amazing nerd show on facebook uh twitter and instagram so you know go ahead and give us a follow and you know let us know what you think and like christian said tell us you know your top picks absolutely all right we gotta close out the show damon before we head out make sure to head over to dramacityproductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts you can also join us on bigheadsmedia.com where there's even more amazing podcasts that's right. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. Hey, and if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely, and you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, well, make sure you go ahead and join us again next week. We're going to be reviewing WrestleMania. It's somehow still taking place. (laughs) For better or worse. Yeah, it's something I dread at this moment. Uh, (laughs) I definitely, yeah. I I mean, not to already shit on next week's episode, but (laughs) it's been a little depressing watching Raw, honestly. Hey, you know what? We go in with low expectations. I know they have this whole, like, we're putting smiles on people's faces, but I feel like they're almost reminding us of everything that's going on. (laughs) You know, but whatever. Uh, It's WrestleMania, so we're going to review it. Um, And then we're going to also talk a new series on Netflix, right? Yeah, um, I recently watched I Am Not Okay With This, and I'm definitely trying to push Damon to watch it. I'm going to do my best, <laughs> goddammit. I have nothing but time on my hands. Uh-huh. So, And then, hey, if you got an idea of a movie that you want us to review or another countdown, you know, make sure you go ahead and reach out to us on social media. All right. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's The Amazing Nerd Show. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. <laughs>